Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. And now for something completely different. Monty Python's a flying circus. Hello, you! And welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. This one is all about British comedy. And so I think it's very uh, appropriate for me to adopt a serious tone, um, a sober approach to um, such an important and relevant subject as British comedy. So that's why I'm speaking in this uh, serious voice, because it would be inappropriate for me to be kind of frivolous or to kind of um, try and make jokes and things like that. No, that would be inappropriate, because um, this is this is an episode about British comedy. So it's very important that this is dealt with in a serious matter-of-fact way because um it's a it's such a serious subject that uh, that's really the only way that um i can talk about it isn't it i mean i have done other episodes um about before and so um you know now that this is um uh obviously a very important um significant aspect of the cultural heritage of the United Kingdom. And I think that every person who knows anything about British life, uh, people who who live in the country, um, leading civil servants, um, judges, uh, politicians, they all have a fine appreciation and and understanding of the sensitive nature and uh, cultural significance of and that's why i'm doing this episode um all right so this 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 episode is the next in in the series about british comedy and i had to do an episode about uh, monty python didn't i i had to i mean i actually had to i was forced to by uh gangsters they they were like you gotta do you gotta do if you don't do an episode about Monty Python's flying circus we're gonna break your legs you understand so I had to do an episode about Monty Python um I mean not just because I was being threatened by um gangsters but um just because they're such an important uh popular and celebrated part of of our comedy history here in Britain um they're very well rated by lots of people 
Some say they're overrated. I don't think they're overrated. I think they're brilliant. Um, You know what I'm talking about, right? Monty Python's Flying Circus. They were a group of comedians who made TV shows in the 60s and 70s, and they made some films in the 70s and 80s, and they made CDs, and they did uh, live shows, and also they did uh, a musical as well, which is called Spam-A-Lot. You've probably seen their stuff on the internet. You might also know that right now... They are doing a reunion tour. I'll tell you more about it in a minute. I just wanted to establish that, um, you know, just who Monty Python were. Um, I like almost all of their comedy. Um, They've been very influential on popular culture in general, but more specifically on the plenty of other comedians and TV shows in the UK and the USA as well. For example, The Simpsons and South Park were very influenced by Monty Python. I mean, not just The Simpsons and South Park, it's everyone really, uh, but certainly those two shows probably wouldn't even exist without uh, the work that was done by Monty Python's Flying Circus. Also, as I just mentioned, this year they are in the middle of a comeback tour. Uh, they're putting on stage performances of their greatest material live at the O2 Arena in London. Um, live performances of, of uh, their show will be broadcast in cinemas around the world too. So check out the website for more information if you want to see it. You can actually you might there might be a cinema near you that is showing a live broadcast of their reunion tour so check out montypythonlive.com and you can find out some info personally i'd i'd love to see the reunion tour but i'm actually quite happy watching their sketches and movies and just listening to the records on my mp3 player as i walk around um i'm really really happy I'm, is that clear? I'm really happy, okay? I'm really happy uh, to share my love of Python with you. Um, some of you will already know about them. Some of you won't. Um, I've already played you some of their stuff before on the podcast, including sketches like the Four Yorkshiremen sketch. Remember that? The Four Yorkshiremen? That was the one about, well, four Yorkshiremen sitting around. That was in an early uh, episode of Luke's English podcast. Um and that's the one where there are four Yorkshiremen and they're sitting around going, oh, kids today, you know, they, they don't know they're born, do they? When I was young, we were lucky to have a price of a cup of tea. And the other one would say, I cup of cold tea and all in a crack cup. Yeah, you were lucky to have a cup. We used to drink our tea out of a rolled up newspaper. Newspaper, you were lucky. You know, and it just sort of escalated from from there. Remember that sketch? Uh, there was also the argument sketch. Remember that one from an earlier episode of Luke's English Podcast? The argument sketch is the one that go, is a, has a man going into an office uh, because he wants to pay to have an argument with someone. And he goes in, hello, is this the uh, right room for an argument? Well, I told you once. No, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Sorry, is this the uh, the, the five-minute argument or, or the full half hour? Oh, uh, just the five minutes. Now, where were we? I definitely told you. No, you didn't. And so on. Uh, that was the argument sketch. Um, then we also had other ones like uh, Swamp Castle. Remember that? About the prince and the king in Swamp Castle. And the king is saying things like, Now listen, lad. In... F- in, in 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 half an hour, you're going to marry the uh, daughter of the... Uh, I can't remember it. Oh, I can't remember it. I do remember it. 
uh, it's the one about the young prince and his father wants him to marry some woman but the prince doesn't care he's just more interested in singing remember that also there was the silly election uh, the silly election that was the one from the episode about about voting and elections did you listen to all of that episode if you did then you would have heard a very funny uh, sketch uh, uh, making fun of election coverage on tv oh god oh it was good um so i'm sure that you're already pretty familiar with with monty python anyway this episode really should be your go-to guide for everything that you need to know about monty python Okay, everything that you need to know about Monty Python's Flying Circus. And in my opinion, you do need to know about Monty Python's Flying Circus. So you can use this episode to make sure that you're fully clued up about this essential part of modern British culture. I could go on and 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 on. I could go like that. I could go. I could do that for ages. I could just go on and on and on and on and on on about this for ages talking about how special their comedy is to me personally and to plenty of other people i could go on and on uh, right i could go on about it for ages but instead i think it's best to just go straight to their comedy uh, straight to their comedy uh, as quickly as possible in this episode and let it speak for itself i realize that by talking about it a lot i'm just building it up and then you, eventually when you do hear their comedy you might find it a bit anticlimactic but nevertheless i do think it's important to explain certain key things about monty python all right um, like the basics the stuff that you need to know to, to be able to then, uh, you know, uh, have a conversation about it or just to know enough about Monty Python to appreciate its position uh, in uh, British history and not just British cultural history, but the cultural history of the English language, in fact. So after I've explained a few things about Python, we're also going to spend some time listening to some of their sketches. In fact, most of this episode will be devoted to listening to their work. And I'm going to uh, pick it apart, explain it to you, explain bits of language that you're going to hear in those sketches. After... No, not after. Okay. I'll... Will, I'll, will, no, that's not English. I'll explain things so that you stunt, you, t excuse me, um, what's happened to my English? I don't know, sometimes, uh, it's, uh, right, let me start that sentence again. I'll explain things so that you understand it all fully, just like a native speaker and a native speaker who gets all of the jokes. Hopefully this will just be one single episode of the podcast. I'll try and keep it brief. It's difficult. In a way, this is one of the hardest episodes of Luke's English podcast that I've ever done. I've been trying to do an episode about Monty Python for ages, right? I've been thinking about it. I've been planning it. I've even started the episode a few times and then abandoned it because I just couldn't quite get it right. Um, it's um, a challenge that's eluded me a few times probably because um, I just love Python so much and I want to do it justice in an episode but really I can never do it justice I could never really uh, communicate how much I like Monty Python you're just going to have to believe me all right just you're just going to have to go with me on it um that's why it's been hard to do an episode about Monty Python I've just been struggling to like choose the right sketches 
struggling to pick the right information to tell you so that you understand the significance of it all but never mind that i'm just going to get straight down to it all right i can't it's really hard to choose a sketch i like all of them too much i also realize that you might not find it funny but that's fine never mind the main thing is that you learn some things about culture and some language and you fi- and if you find it funny that's a bonus isn't it so do not expect to find any of this funny okay no fun in this episode that's it no fun no 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 laughs no enjoyment just just cold just simple cold uh, pragmatic uh language and cultural understanding no fun oh god no all right don't expect any laughter in fact if you do laugh then you should be ashamed of yourself uh, honestly unbelievable behavior what kind of person enjoys themselves listening to comedy Ugh. especially comedy don't ask me why i'm saying it like that i really don't know i just decided i'd do it like that just for a bit of fun you know because sometimes it's a bit fun. it's sometimes it's fun just to speak in different voices isn't it i don't know what this voice is it's a sort of it's just some sort of bloke from the north of england not sure where he's from anyway oh i tell you what i do love that monty python oh it's fantastic you know what i think i think it's one of the finest examples of comedy that you can find okay Okay, I'm fine, ladies and gentlemen. I'm fine, I promise. I'm just excited because I like this subject of this this episode. Okay? All right. Um, So here is everything you need to know about Monty Python's Flying Circus and perhaps some of the things that you don't really need to know as well, but I'm just going to tell them to you anyway. So who are they? Right. Monty Python. Six guys. Six people. Six comedians. They started in the the late 1960s. But who are those six people? You've got John Cleese, um, Er, uh, John Cleese, uh, Graham Chapman, Eric Idle, Michael Palin, Terry Jones, and Terry Gilliam. Okay, John Cleese, Graham Chapman, Eric Idle, Michael Palin, Terry Jones, and Terry Gilliam. Where were they from? Well, the five of them were from England. Well, okay, sorry, four of them were from England. Um, that's John Cleese, Graham Chapman, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin. They were English. Terry Jones was Welsh, and Terry Gilliam, American. All right. Um, Terry Gilliam, you might know, is a famous movie director. He did things like Twelve Monkeys and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Time Bandits. Fantastic director, brilliant films. Uh, he was also the um, animator the artist for the Pythons. So you'll know that um, a lot of their movies and TV shows featured lots of animation. Um, Well, Terry Gilliam was the guy responsible for it. Brilliant animation, completely insane, like uh, incredibly talented work, very, very funny, uh, wild, um, brilliant stuff. Um, The other Pythons, of course, were all brilliant in their own ways. Maybe we'll get a chance to go into that in a minute um so uh why are they called monty python's flying circus well there's no particular reason i mean um it doesn't mean anything really uh, i think they just liked the sound of the name monty python is a made-up person um i think the idea was that monty python would be some sort of um uh, talent agent or something um 
but it really doesn't mean anything this this the it's just a funny sounding name uh that's all and it does sort of represent the kind of craziness um um of of this comedy group so the name doesn't really it's not really that important it's just that it's a kind of wacky name you know um where did they come from well i've told you which sort of nationalities they were but most of them met um while studying at university either they went to cambridge or oxford universities so as i said very educated uh types uh, very kind of intellectual in a way um and they performed comedy as part of their university entertainment uh, programs uh, cambridge has got a very famous um comedy scene it's called the Foot- footlights club and the footlights club has given us lots and lots of um, famous comedians over the years um so they came out of the oxbridge university comedy scenes they went into doing tv and radio and and stuff john cleese was probably the the most famous of the group after having worked with people like um i think he worked with uh, peter cook uh, on, on some things we know about peter cook he was in the the previous episode about comedy and so you know all about him um Right, so they kind of emerged from the university comedy scene, and eventually the, the six of them kind of got together. Gilliam, uh, I think, met John Cleese when John did a, 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 uh, some work in America. He met up with Gilliam, and later on, Gilliam found his way over to England, and they, they ended up becoming a group of, of six. Um, what did they do? Well, um, after doing stage shows and various other uh, features on other TV shows, they managed to as a group um get a contract to do a bbc comedy show i think they had something like a contract for 12 episodes of a comedy show and it was called monty python's flying circus and they wrote all of the sketches themselves they performed all of it themselves um and um at at that time at the end of the 1960s the bbc was a very very different place and uh for some reason they were just given a lot of freedom the producers just said okay yeah there you go you go go off and make 12 episodes and off you go um they they weren't sort of subject to lots of restrictions or lots of uh, control from from the bbc um instead they were just allowed to kind of go and make the shows and they made them and they were broadcast on tv and not many people saw them at the first um but in those days um on the bbc that in fact in those days in britain there were only about three tv channels um and most of the content on tv was very boring very sort of conservative stuff and monty python's flying circus burst onto people's television sets at the end of the 60s and it kind of um i guess it was like uh it for for people who watched it it must have blown their minds because it was so radical and so crazy and it broke all of the rules um and uh it was so colorful and ridiculous and stupid and intellectual and anarchic um and genuinely funny that i think it really captured the imagination of um the sort of younger generation now we know in this in britain at that time there was the kind of um the peace movement the alternative movement the counterculture movement that we associate with certain types of music you know we think of the music that the beatles were producing the rolling stones and all the other kinds of um, progressive rock music and and avant-garde stuff well i think that the monty python's flying circus managed to uh, do the same thing for comedy or certainly for television entertainment and so if you 
were just watching TV one night and you happened to find an episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus, at the time it would have been so radically different that it I think a lot of people just didn't know what was going on. And it must have been very exciting to watch because in their shows, literally, you felt like anything could happen, you know? All sorts of things would happen. Um, it wasn't just a standard sketch show. They broke the rules of um, TV comedy by um, playing with the formats. Uh, it was very postmodern. They took the standard sort of um, um, structure of TV comedy and twisted it, uh, made it self-referential um, and, you know, very ironic playing around with the conventions of television entertainment um and um so it must have been a big shock and certainly at the beginning it, it didn't really catch on but i think it became a sort of counterculture thing that some some people watched it who understood it and they got it probably younger people who felt you know they were on the same wavelength as these guys they're the ones who really got it so i think at the beginning it was just something that only a few people got and they would see each other maybe at work or at college or something the next day after having watched it the night before and they'd say hey did you see that show on bbc last night what was that that was amazing wasn't it and so it kind of um started to develop like that just with a few like-minded people watching the show and the, because the bbc weren't quite as strict about their content in those days uh, they were uh, the, the pythons were allowed to just get away with all kinds of crazy stuff that these days they wouldn't be allowed to get away with um also uh, certain people like for example george harrison um of the beatles saw it and loved it and so he told lots of people about it, and I think that was good pu publicity for them too. Um, what was so special about it? Why did people like it so much? Well, I think I've just explained that. Uh, but as well as it being kind of radical and, and crazy and uh, apparently random, um, I think it was also just very funny um, um, that the performances were great. I mean, these guys were just naturally funny people. John Cleese, very tall, kind of quite strange-looking, uh, very serious performer, and yet um, very ridiculous. He would bring the gravity and the seriousness of a barrister to ridiculous comedy performances, and, and it was very impressive to watch. He's got like a quite funny-shaped body you know he's kind of tall and thin and a uh, very physical performer michael palin was able to uh, really take on all sorts of different types of character he could be sort of um, cheeky he could be um, mischievous um, and cute as well uh, eric idle a naturally funny performer a great writer of jokes um and uh, Terry Jones also was um, a great writer and someone who was willing to just do anything to, to be funny. Uh, Graham Chapman as well was a very interesting guy because, again, he came from this kind of middle class um, Oxbridge educated background. But you got the sense that underneath all of that, there was a kind of crazy person who didn't care for a convention at all. And he just wanted to make people laugh and he, and, and uh his personal life was was really uh, a, a little bit crazy and a bit out of control. Apparently, he was quite a heavy drinker. He was an alcoholic, which is a you know a pity because uh, I think it affected his health. Um, 
uh, and also he he was a homosexual he was gay um not that that has anything to do with with anything um but it, he's just an interesting character who um it somehow is like part i think that's part of the charm of this group that there were wildly different personalities but when they got together they complemented each other so well that the result is like great entertainment um who else have i not mentioned terry gilliam well i've talked about him him being the outsider the american amongst all of these educated brits with the incredible visual sensibility as well and the spirit the kind of um uh uh, rebel spirit i think terry gilliam has i think he brought that into the mix as well have i mentioned them all please chapman eric idle michael palin terry jones and terry gilliam yes um so the performances that the writing was good i mean they just wrote original and intelligent comedy um um I mean, it was original, although some of, although that kind of comedy, that sort of slightly anarchic uh, stuff, had been done before by people like the Goons. That was a, a group of three comedians: Spike Milligan, uh, Peter Sellers, and Harry Seacombe. Uh, the Goons did a, a, an amazing show called The Goon Show. It was a radio show and it was totally insane. And this, uh, I think it inspired lots of people, including the Beatles. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was a huge fan of The Goon Show as well. He used to listen to it on radio when he lived in England. And of course, the Pythons were very influenced by uh, The Goons as well, uh, particularly Spike Milligan. I think he was the one who kind of wrote... Um, most of the goons material and also other comedians like peter cook who i've mentioned before were doing a similar kind of thing as the pythons but for, but somehow the pythons managed to just um um do this kind of comedy in uh, an accessible and vibrant way and it made them big stars um the animations i've told you about the level of intelligence combined with the readiness to be completely stupid as well um what effect has their work had on culture in general well i mean as you know apart from just influencing generations of comedians and um tv shows both in england and uh you know both in britain the uk and in in the usa um i think also just like something about uh their sensibility has entered into people's minds um everyone in britain knows a, a little bit about the pythons um some of their sketches some of the phrases from their sketches are part of people's um language part of people's vernacular many people know a lot of the scripts from monty python uh, sketches off by heart and they seem to just come up every now and then in conversation um, even politicians like margaret thatcher once quoted uh, a monty python sketch in one of her speeches so you get the idea of just how sort of um um how uh, entrenched uh, monty python is in in british culture um what does their comedy tell us about the British sense of humour? I think maybe partly this this has helped to create this stereotype that British humour is surreal and strange and difficult to understand. I mean, it's not all surreal and strange. Um, I think Python humour is surreal and intellectual and conceptual and a bit odd. And so that may th make people think that all British comedy is like that. Um, um what are the most what are some of the most famous monty python moments the most famous monty python moments well i mean uh, these are questions that i wrote to myself earlier 
there are lots of famous Monty Python moments. Um, I should probably just tell you about the work that they've done. They did four series of the TV show, which was on the BBC in the 60s and 70s. They also did a show in German, I believe. They filmed some of their sketches in German, and they, they made it uh, in Germany. They were very popular there. Uh, they also made a number of feature films. The first one was called uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which was all about um, King Arthur and uh, the Knights of uh, the Round Table from Camelot. It was set in medieval England in the 12th century, and it featured King Arthur and his knights travelling around medieval England searching for the Holy Grail. And basically it was an excuse to make lots of uh, very silly um, sketches um, around a medieval theme. And it's brilliant. It's one of my favourite films, in my opinion. I think it's very funny. Uh, they also... Uh, that that film, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, was made very cheaply, and it was f- written, filmed, and performed by the, the team themselves. Um, the money for that uh, movie actually came from uh, rock bands. So it was very hard for them to get money to produce this strange film. They managed to convince... Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin to um, actually give some of the money towards the production of this film. So if it wasn't for Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, this film wouldn't uh, have been made. I think that's really cool. I mean, that's just brilliant. You can see uh, how this film is part of that kind of awesome culture um you know with the with the music and and all that kind of thing um they made another film called the life of brian and that film was produced by a company called handmade films and handmade films was owned by george harrison of the beatles after being in the beatles he you know had his own music career but he also set up a film production company handmade films and handmade films was responsible for some really really great british films including the life of brian so thanks to george harrison this film was made um life of brian they also did um another one called the meaning of life and uh they did an, uh, a number of uh of albums like audio albums which you can get and they're, they're great um and they did live uh, theater shows um they did a big theater show at the hollywood bowl and that's available you can get that on dvd and it's brilliant um what else have they done they they more recently um the the stage show the musical spam a lot came out which is a kind of monty python themed musical and and now of course they're doing the reunion tour i'm sure there are other things um that i haven't mentioned but those are the those are the basic things um so let's move on to sketches and i want to play you at least one it might and more if if possible but i'd like to to let you listen to at least one comedy sketch by python because as i've said it's it's all very good me just banging on about them like this but uh, really we should let their comedy speak for itself um so i've i've kind of created a list of some of my favorite sketches and there's no way that i can do them all uh i can present them all to you and teach you the language in them there's just not enough time so i might have to do other episodes on this subject in the future um the the list of sketches um I took from um, the videos that they have presented on their YouTube channel. 
Okay, so Monty Python has its own YouTube channel. I strongly suggest that you you uh, check it check it out. Um, you can find a link to it on my web page for this episode. I also strongly suggest that you buy their work too. Okay, um, please do. Please purchase some of their stuff. I really strongly suggest it uh, because it's very good. It's great, and you won't regret it. Um, so there's a list um, on Amazon of pretty much everything that you can purchase by Monty Python's Flying Circus. And again, you'll find a link to that on my webpage uh, for this episode. Uh, my particular favourites and the ones that I would recommend that you buy on DVD or CD or, or download or whatever. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, The Life of Brian, Live at the Hollywood Bowl. And the audio recording of Monty Python live at Drury Lane in London. Don't bother with the whole box set of the TV show unless you're a hardcore fan. Because, to be honest, some of the stuff on the TV show is not very funny. I mean, they had to fill sort of hours of, of, um, of TV with sketches. And some sketches are a bit... I mean, the shows are a bit hit and miss. Um, so in in one half an hour sketch you might get two or three classic sketches but then the other stuff is kind of like you know not that funny so i wouldn't bother with the tv show box set because you'll have to watch lots of fairly unfunny stuff before you get to the really good stuff Um, what you could do is just check out their videos on the youtube channel which is a sort of like best of compilation there is a dvd as well which is called the best of monty python's flying circus and that's a good one to get um i'll probably come back Back to Python sketches in the future, uh, as I said, because there's no way I can cover everything in this episode. Um, To be honest, I'll be lucky to get through more than two sketches in this podcast. Uh, I'd like to just remind you, please do not find anything funny. Please do not laugh. Do not smile. Okay? Don't smile when listening to this. Not even now. Don't even now. Don't smile. Good. Uh, Right, I think we're going to start with uh, the sketch that everybody knows. It's their most famous sketch. It's not necessarily their funniest sketch. In fact, there are plenty of people out there who don't find it funny at all. Um, I like it, but I've just seen it so many times. I've heard it so many times. I think I know the entire script off by heart. In fact, I'm not alone. There are plenty of people all across the UK and the USA who could recite this sketch from start to finish and they would they probably will if you ask them um so the the dead parrot sketch now you you might as i said you might not find it funny but let's listen to it and then um and then i'll explain it for you all right i'm i'm going to shut up now and now i'll let you listen to the dead parrot sketch essentially what happens is a man comes into a pet shop he's purchased a parrot you know, a parrot, a, a bird that talks. Hello, hello, pretty Polly. A parrot, right? He bought a parrot and he's taken it back to the pet shop because he wants to complain. What's the complaint? Well, the complaint is that the parrot is dead, all right? Um, and the shopkeeper um, is a kind of untrustworthy character who's trying to convince the guy that the parrot's not dead. In fact, it's just resting. And that's basically the basis of the sketch, that one guy's trying to say, no, it is dead, it's definitely dead. And the other one's saying, no, no, it's not dead, no, it's just resting. And that's it. That's basically the the uh, premise of this sketch. Um, the thing I like about it is the the things I like are the writing and the performance. But you have to make up your own mind. As you can now listen to uh, the Dead Parrots sketch. 
Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Hello, miss. What do you mean, miss? Oh, I'm sorry, I have a cold. I wish to make a complaint. <laughs> sorry, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about this parrot what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. Oh, yes, the Norwegian blue. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's resting. Look. Look, my lad, I know a dead parrot when I see one, and I'm looking at one right now. No, no, it's not dead. It's resting. Resting? Yeah. Remarkable bird, the Norwegian blue. Beautiful plumage, isn't it? The plumage don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, no, it's resting. All right, then. If it's resting, I'll wake it up. Hello, Polly. I got a nice cuttlefish for you when you wake up, Polly Parrot. There, it moved. No, it didn't. <laughs> that was you pushing the gate. I did not. Yes, you did. Hello, Polly. <laughs> Polly. Polly Parrot, wake up. Polly. <laughs> now, that's what I call a dead parrot. No, no, it's stunned. Look, my lad, I've had just about enough of this. That parrot is definitely deceased. And when I bought it not half an hour ago, you assured me that its lack of movement was due to it being tired and shagged out after a long squawk. It's got me pining for the fjords. Pining for the fjords? What kind of talk is that? Look, where did it fall flat on its back the moment I got it home? The Norwegian blue prefers kipping on its back. It's a beautiful bird, lovely plumage. Look, I took the liberty of examining that parrot, and I discovered that the only reason that it had been sitting on its perch in the first place was that it had been nailed there. <laughs> well, of course it was nailed there, otherwise it muscled up to those bars and boom! Look, matey. This parrot wouldn't boom if I put 4,000 bolts through it. It's bleeding demise. It's not. It's, it's pining. It's not pining. It's passed on. This parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late parrot. It's a stiff bereft of life, it rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed it to the perch, it would be pushing up the daisies. It's run down the curtain and joined the choir invisible. This is an ex-parent. Well, I'd better replace it then. If you want to get anything done in this country, you've got to complain to your blue in the mouth. Sorry, Gov, we're right out of parrots. I see. I've... I see. I get the picture. I've got a slug. <laughs> Does it talk? Not really, no. Well, it's scarcely a replacement then, is it? All right, there you go. That's it. I mean, that sketch does continue, but I'm stopping it there. Um, that's a good place to stop. And you, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, uh, uh, it's not that funny, Luke. It's just sort of people just shouting and, you know, the audience was laughing, but I didn't find it funny. That's absolutely fine. I told you, didn't I? I told you. You're not supposed to find it funny. We're just learning, okay? We're just learning. You, you can't expect to find it funny instantly. Um, let me explain a few things, and then maybe you'll have a better chance next time. Also, I'm going to play you a live version of that performance, which I find much funnier, um, and we'll see about that in a minute, all right? So, hmm, how much did you understand? 
What did you get from that? Now, if you didn't find it funny, as I said, that's fine, because there's plenty of language, lovely, chunky, meaty language for us to feast on in this sketch. So let's go through it again, and I'm going to explain the language for you. All right? Good. Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Hello, I wish to register a complaint. There you go. There's a bit of language already. You can register a complaint or make a complaint. Excuse me, I'd like to make a complaint, please. I'd like to register a complaint. Is a slightly more formal way. Hello, I'd like to register a complaint, please. So you can see that this character is already rather formal person. Um, he's a bit of a formal, sort of stuffy person who takes himself very seriously. Okay, I'd li- I wish to register a complaint. Hello, miss. What do you mean, miss? I'm sorry, I have a cold. Okay, so he doesn't get the attention of the guy in the shop. So he says, uh, hello, miss. So that's a bit strange because he seems to think that the person in the shop is a woman, but he's clearly a man. Uh, So it's a bit odd, that. Um, But that's just, you know, it's just Python. It's just random. Um, Hello, miss. And he says, what do you mean, miss? And then it seems the guy realises that this is a man and he, and his excuse is, oh, I'm sorry, I have a cold. As if having a cold will um, is a good enough excuse for uh, misidentifying someone's gender. All right? So anyway, there you go. Excuse me, I, uh, I wish to register a complaint. Hello, miss? What do you mean, miss? Oh, I'm sorry, I have a cold. Anyway, all right. What do you mean, miss? I'm sorry, I have a cold. I wish to make a complaint. <laughs> sorry, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about this parrot what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. I wish to per- I wish to complain about this parrot what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. So you can see that his language is like ridiculously formal. I mean, no one really speaks like that unless you're some sort of sort of formal tosser, you know. I wish to complain about this parrot, what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. Now, it's not a boutique, it's a shop. So he's using this sort of formal language. He obviously thinks that he's uh, very important. Um, and uh, his complaint is not going to be successful, it seems. But he's ready to argue. Oh, yes, the Norwegian blue. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Oh, yes, the uh, the Norwegian blue. So the shopkeeper's kind of casual. Oh, yes, the Norwegian blue. Apparently, this the name of this parrot is the Norwegian blue. But it's ridiculous because you don't have parrots in Norway. Anyways, oh, yes, the Norwegian blue. What's the problem? And he goes, I'll tell you what's, I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. Oh, yes, the Norwegian blue. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> Okay, I should say just now, I, I'm, I'm going to find it very challenging to try and explain what's funny about this, okay? It's very hard to explain what's funny about the parrot sketch. It could be something to do with just the timing, the way that the characters react to each other, the attitudes of the two characters, the fact that it's a ridiculous situation that they're arguing about whether this parrot is dead or not. The fact that it's a parrot is, I mean, a parrot is a fairly funny animal, I suppose, um... But it's it's hard to say in a sort of objective way exactly what's funny about it. First of all, maybe it's just the level of surprise, you know, the the fact that they start arguing about whether or not it's dead or the, the problem with the parrot being that it's dead. I mean, that's quite a funny premise. Um, but maybe it's just the surprise of, of learning that they're arguing about a dead parrot. Um, 
after listening to it again and again and again, you start to just enjoy the carefully written script and the uh, the way in which they emphasize parts of the script as well. Um, but there aren't specific jokes. There aren't like word jokes or anything going on here. It's more just attitude and surprise and, and things like that. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's resting. Look. Look, my lad, I know a dead parrot when I see one, and I'm looking at one right now. No, no, it's not dead. It's resting. Okay, completely pathetic excuse. Oh, no, it's not dead. It's uh, it's just resting. I mean, it's like the, the worst excuse you've ever heard, isn't it? It's the worst, most pathetic attempt to try and persuade the guy that the parrot's not dead. I mean, it's obviously dead. Oh, no, no, it's just resting. And the guy's got no chance of convincing him of this. But, you know, he's going to try it anyway, just because he's a dishonest uh, pet shop owner. Okay? Resting? Yeah. Remarkable bird, the Norwegian blue. Beautiful plumage, isn't it? Now he tries to distract the customer by referring to the beautiful plumage of the bird. You know, um... Oh, no, it's not dead. It's just resting. Resting? Uh, yeah, a remarkable bird, isn't it? The Norwegian blue. Beautiful plumage. Um, plumage is the, the, the feathers and the colour of the feathers. So if a bird has beautiful plumage, you're talking about the, the way its feathers look and the colour uh, of its feathers, all right? It's a remarkable bird, though, isn't it? The Norwegian blue. Beautiful plumage. The plumage don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, no, it's resting. The plumage don't enter into it, meaning the plumage doesn't enter into it. The plumage don't enter into it. So uh, that's interesting. That's like a, a grammar mistake, but it's the sort of grammar mistake that certain type of native English speaker might make. A sort of citizen of uh, greater London might use that kind of uh, uh, gram grammar. The plumage don't enter into it. Um, meaning the plumage doesn't enter into it, meaning the plumage has got nothing to do with it. The plumage is not important, it's irrelevant, okay? Because this parrot's dead. All right, then. If it's resting, I'll wake it up. Hello, Polly! I got a nice cuttlefish for you when you wake up, Polly Parrot! There, it moved. No, it didn't. <laughs> so here the customer plays devil's advocate saying, okay, all right, well, if it's resting, I'll wake it up then, shall I? And he starts shouting, hello, Polly! So Polly is a typical name for a, uh, a parrot. Uh, I think it's from an old pirate adventure story, um, maybe. Or it's just a very typical name for a, for a parrot. Hello, Polly! I've got a nice cuttlefish for you. A cuttlefish is a sort of typical bit of food that you would give to a parrot. All right, I've got a nice cuttlefish for you. And then at this point, Michael Palin, who is playing the shopkeeper, pushes the cage and goes, look, it moved. So it's like a really bad attempt at trying to uh, uh, make it look like the parrot moves. He just bump, he pushes the cage. Look, it moved. That was you pushing the cage. I did not. Yes, you did. Hello, Polly. Polly. Polly Perrot, wake up. Polly. Now that's what I call a dead parrot. Now that's what I call a dead parrot. Now he says that after he's, uh, you know, obviously shouted in the ear of the parrot, hit the parrot uh, against the desk, and then thrown the parrot onto the floor. Now, when you see the sketch, it's obviously just a plastic parrot, which is again part of the um, sort of farce of this sketch. It's farcical. 
the characters are ridiculous. The situation is completely ridiculous. Um, and yet they're both dealing with it in a fairly serious kind of way. Um, and it's a plastic parrot. So he's thrown it on the floor. And now that's what I call a dead parrot. I think the shopkeeper is, is now going to try and uh, argue that uh, it's not actually dead, that it's just resting. No, no, it's stunned. Okay, it's just stunned. Stunned. If someone is stunned, it means that they're sort of shocked. Um, and if you're stunned, it means you're shocked and then you can't move, um, basically. So he's saying that, no, it's not dead, it's stunned. You just stunned it then. Norwegian blues stun easily. No, no, it's stunned. Look, my lad, I've had just about enough of this. That parrot is definitely deceased. And when I bought it not half an hour ago, you assured me that its lack of movement was due to it being tired and shagged out after a long squawk. When I purchased it not half an hour ago, you assured me that its lack of movement was due to it being tired and shagged out after a long squawk. A squawk is uh, the word for the noise that a parrot would make. You know, uh, like that. That's a squawk. So apparently... Uh, when he purchased it earlier, the shopkeeper said, yeah, yeah he's, he's just, he's just um, exhausted. He's tired and shagged out. If someone is shagged out, it means they're exhausted, basically. Um, yeah, he's tired and shagged out after a long squawk. Uh, so apparently the bird w- had exhausted itself from going, um, okay. You're probably listening to this thinking, okay, this is ridiculous. I can't believe this is one of the most celebrated and popular bits of entertainment. I thought the British were an intelligent people. Um, well, what can I say? I've already said that I can't explain why this is funny. Um, and either you get it or you don't get it. But I think it's worth sort of trying just to enjoy it, just for a bit of light entertainment. As I said, I will play you another version of this sketch uh, once I've finished kind of explaining the words and stuff, uh, which you might find a bit uh, more entertaining. But um, for now, let's carry on. So you assured me that it was tired and shagged out after a long squawk. It's probably pining for the fjords. It's probably pining for the fjords. Pining for the fjords. Okay, now here the shopkeeper is suggesting that the parrot is homesick okay uh if you're pining for something it means you're sort of dreaming of something and like missing something pining for the fjords uh the fjords are areas on the coast of norway okay fjords areas where the the sea uh, where where the um, there are sort of large inlets of seawater coming into the land fjords it's a beautiful area of norway and you can do boat trips there and so on it's a beautiful place so maybe the parrot is feeling homesick maybe he's pining for the fjords um but the um customer thinks this is ridiculous and responds by going pining for the fjords what kind of talk is that pining for the fjords what kind of talk is that Look, why did it fall flat on its back the moment I got it home? Why did it fall flat on its back the moment I got it home? So as soon as it got it home, the parrot just just fell flat on its back. Flat on its back, that's quite a nice expression. If you fall flat on your back, it means you just fall uh, completely uh, on the ground. Just, I mean, if, if you imagine if someone uh, passes out, they would fall over flat on their back. Okay. So, why pining for the fields? What kind of talk is that? Why did it fall flat on its back when uh, the moment I brought it home? 
I think now the shopkeeper suggests that uh, the Norwegian blue prefers sleeping on its back. Yeah, the Norwegian blue prefers kipping on its back. Kipping means sleeping. Remember that? A, a kip from the uh, British slang episode a, a while ago. To kip means to sleep. Yeah, the uh, Norwegian blue prefers kipping on its back. The Norwegian blue prefers kipping on its back. It's a beautiful bird, lovely plumage. Look, I took the liberty of examining that parrot, and I discovered that the only reason that it had been sitting on its perch in the first place was that it had been nailed there. <laughs> I took the liberty of examining that parrot, meaning I chose, uh, out of my own free will, to examine the parrot. The parrot. And what I noticed was that um, the reason it... Um, was still stuck to its perch. A perch is the thing that a parrot would hold on to, like a little piece of wood that the parrot sits on. So I, I noticed that the reason that the parrot was still stuck to its perch was because it had been nailed there. Okay, so he's saying that the shopkeeper must have nailed the parrot onto the perch. So the shop, he's suggesting the shopkeeper knew full well that this parrot was dead and that he would nail the parrot to its perch um, as a way of attempting to make it look like the parrot was still alive. Yes. It's a beautiful bird, lovely plumage. Look, I took the liberty of examining that parrot, and I discovered that the only reason that it had been sitting on its perch in the first place was that it had been nailed there. <laughs> well, of course it was nailed there, otherwise it muscled up to those bars and boom! Of course it was nailed there, otherwise it would have muscled up to those bars and boom! Okay, to muscle up to the bars. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous saying that a parrot could muscle up to to the bars of a cage. If you imagine like a big man, a big muscular man in prison, he would muscle up to the bars, meaning he would sort of like grab the bars with his muscular arms, you know, to muscle up to the bars. All right? Um, so the, the parrot would muscle up to those bars and vroom! Vum means it would have escaped like that. If I hadn't nailed it there, that parrot would have muscled up to them bars and vum, meaning if I hadn't nailed it there, the parrot would have approached the bars, pulled them apart, and escaped very quickly. Vum. Look, matey, <laughs> this parrot wouldn't vum if I put four thousand bolts through it. Look, matey, this parrot wouldn't vum if I put four thousand volts through it. I think it's pretty clear what that means. Matey, <laughs> this parrot wouldn't boom if I put 4,000 bolts through it. It's bleeding demise. It's not. It's, it's pining. It's not pining. It's passed on. Okay, this is probably the most famous part of this sketch. And this is where John Cleese starts... Um, uh, uh, emphasising the fact that this parrot is definitely dead. It's bleeding demised. It's demised means it's it's uh, it's died. It's passed on. It's died, and a number of other uh, ways of saying basically that the parrot has died. It's passed on. It's demised. It's it's pushing up the daisies and other expressions. Let's have a listen. It's bleeding demise. It's not. It's, it's pining. It's not pining. It's passed on. This parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late parrot. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It rests in peace. 
if you hadn't nailed it to the perch, you would be pushing up the daisies. Expand down the curtain and join the crowd invisible. This is an X parrot. Okay, let's go through those lines again. There is a script for this sketch on uh, my website. I've taken the script from the internet, um, and whoever wrote it sort of wrote in also the different... Uh, They've tried to express the pronunciation of the characters. So you might see that the spelling is not exactly the same as normal spelling. So instead of he's passed on, it's e's passed on, just the letter e. Anyway, he said, he's not pining, he's passed on. This parrot is no more. If something is no more, then it's finished, right? He has ceased to be. Um, he's expired. Um, normally we associate expiry with uh, like food, right? Uh, an expiry date on, on uh, a piece of food. Anyway, the, the, this parrot has expired. And uh, this parrot has gone to meet his maker. If you go and meet your maker, it's like you go and meet God. So it's just another way of saying that someone's died. He's gone to meet his maker. He's a stiff. A stiff is a dead body, okay? Cause, because dead bodies, they, they go stiff, don't they? Uh, he's a stiff bereft of life if something is bereft of something it means that it's it's lacking something or without something so um, in this case the parrot is bereft of life he rests in peace you know that uh, the letters r-i-p r-i-p that means rest in peace so he rests in peace if you hadn't nailed him to the perch he'd be pushing up the daisies uh, if someone is pushing up the daisies it means that they're buried in the ground okay dying um and the idea is that because someone's underground, it's sort of it's like they're pushing up flowers. Daisies are flowers that grow up out of the ground, of course. Uh, if you're pushing up the daisies, it just means that you're buried underground, okay? Um, um, uh, da, da, da. It's, there's, there's some others in this script which are not in that sketch. For example, he's, he's kicked the bucket. He's shuffled, he's shuffled off its mortal coil. He's run down the curtain and joined the bleeding choir invisible. I never really understood that phrase. But then he finally says, this is an ex-parrot. Uh, I think we all understand that bit. Parrot wouldn't boom if I put 4,000 bolts through it. <laughs> it's bleeding demise. It's not. It's, it's pining. It's not pining. It's passed on. <laughs> this parrot is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to meet its maker. This is a late it's a stiff bereft of life it rests in peace if you hadn't nailed it to the perch it would be pushing up the daisies it's run down the curtain and join the crowd invisible this is an ex parrot well I better replace it then if you want to get anything done in this country you've got to complain to your blue in the mouth sorry gov I'll right out of parrots Sorry, Gov, I'm right out of parrots. So in the end, it seems the shopkeeper's willing to replace the parrot. He goes into the back. It turns out he doesn't have any parrots left. Sorry, Gov, I'm right out of parrots. I'm right out of parrots, meaning I don't have any parrots left. We're right out of parrots. Sorry, Gov, we're right out of parrots. <laughs> Normally, you'd say, well, we're right out of something else. You wouldn't say parrots. You'd say, like, oh, I'm afraid we're right out of shelving units. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm afraid we're right out of cheddar sandwiches. Uh, we're, we're right out of parrots. Just sounds a bit ridiculous. And as a replacement, he, he suggests uh, that, that he has a slug. 
A slug, do you know what that is? It's like a snail. You know, a snail. Uh, a snail is that slimy creature which has a shell on its back. The French like to eat them. Escargot, for example, a snail. Well, a slug is like a snail without a shell. So, I've got a slug. Does it talk? No. I see. I see. I get the picture. I've got a slug. <laughs> Does it talk? Not really, no. Well, it's scarcely a replacement then, is it? Does it talk? Well, not really, no. Well, it's scarcely a replacement then, is it? It's scarcely a replacement, meaning it's uh, it's not very a, it's not really a very good replacement. All right, there you go. I've presented the dead parrot sketch to you. Um, I'd like to play it to you again, but as I mentioned before, I've, I'm going to play you a different version. Uh, the version I'm going to play you is um, from a live performance, uh, and um, this this performance was um, recorded at least ten years after they re- they filmed that original sketch that we just listened to. So if you imagine after 10 years of performing this sketch again and again and again, they probably have performed it 100 times. And and by this point, they know the sketch well and they're able to emphasize the lines and exaggerate it even more because it's in front of a live, uh, a live audience in a, in a theater. They're exaggerating. It's much more theatrical. I find this one to be a lot funnier. So let's listen to this. They also change it a little bit and it's slightly random. And in fact, you will hear Michael Palin, the shopkeeper. Um, he's really trying not to laugh. Um, and if you watch the video, you can see his face. He's like trying not to laugh because John Cleese is being so over the top and so ridiculous. I really, really enjoy watching this video. Anytime I feel like a little bit depressed or something, I can just watch this video. It always cheers me up. So listen to the live version of the Dead Parrot sketch now. to register a complaint. <laughs> Sorry, we're closed for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about this parrot what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. Oh, yes, the, uh, the Norwegian blue. What's, uh, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> no, no, he's resting. Good matey, I know a dead parrot when I see one. And I'm looking at one right now. No, no, he's, uh, he's not dead, Squire, he's resting. Remarkable bird, the Norwegian blue, isn't it, eh? Beautiful plumage. The plumage don't end with it. He's stone dead. No, no, he's resting. All right, then, if he's resting, I'll wake him up. Hello, Mr. Polly Parrot. I've got a nice fresh kettlefish for you if you wake up. Is that him? No, he didn't. That was you. Oh, there was! Yes, I think it is! Hello, Polly! Awake to wake Testing, testing. This is your nine o'clock alarm call. Now that's what I call a dead parrot. He's stunned. Stunned? Yes! 
landing just as he was waking up. Norwegian blues not easily. Now listen, matey, I've had enough of this. That pellet is definitely deceased. And when I purchased it not half an hour ago, you assured me that its total lack of movement was due to it being tarred and shagged out following a prolonged squawk. Oh, he's, uh, he's probably pining for the field. this uh, margaret thatcher doing the dead parrot sketch at the conservative party conference yes the prime minister margaret thatcher actually said some of the lines from the dead parrot sketch in uh, one of her speeches um, a little bit of context for you she's talking about the new logo for one of her rival parties the liberal democrats the liberal democrats have a logo which is a, a bird And the logo was new when Thatcher did this speech. And so she used it as an opportunity to make fun of the Liberal Democrats and their new logo by quoting some of the lines from the Dead Parrots sketch. Now that brings me to the Liberal Party. I gather that during the last few days, there have been some ill-natured jokes about their new symbol, a bird of some kind adopted by the Liberal Democrats at Blackpool. Politics is a serious business, and one should not lower the tone unduly. (laughs) So I will say only this of the Liberal Democrats' symbol, and of the party it symbolises. This is an (laughs) ex-parrot. not merely stunned, it has ceased to be, expired, and gone to meet its maker. 
It is a parrot no more. It has rung down the curtain and joined the choir invisible. This is a late parrot. And now for something completely different. <laughs> so that just about wraps up this episode about Monty Python's Flying Circus. I didn't really cover uh, all of it. I mean, it's impossible to cover all of it in just one episode. Um, I'd love to go into more detail and hear uh, sketches from the other members of the group. And I intend to do that in the future. Well done for listening all the way to the end of this episode of Luke's English Podcast. I, th I think that um, if you did listen all the way to the end, that your concentration paid off um, because um, I think it got better as it went along, don't you think? Um, I'll do more stuff with sketches by Monty Python in the future, uh, but for this episode, for now, it's almost goodbye. I would just like to remind you to um, visit uh, the webpage for this episode where you can find links. Uh, you can then check out Monty Python's um, shows, DVDs, CDs and things on Amazon. Um, and you can also just see videos on their YouTube page. Um, if you um, feel like it, please do leave a comment on teacherluke.co.uk. Tell me what you think of the parrot sketch. Did you find it funny? Did you understand it? Uh, what's, what are your thoughts? I'd like to know. Uh, whatever your opinions are, please leave your comments there. I'm always curious to, to hear back from my listeners in some way. Um, so that's it for this episode. I'll speak to you again very, very, very soon. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye, bye, bye. Thanks again for being a brilliant person and listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, go to teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.